On your Friday episode of Locked on Raptors, it's 10 years to the day since the Toronto Raptors traded Rudy Gay to the Sacramento Kings and completely changed the franchise's fortunes forever. And James Herbert from CBSSports.com is here to talk about how and why it changed everything, our memories of the trade in the aftermath, and whether there are parallels between the 2013-14 Raptors and the Raptors of today. It's all coming up today. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. So. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Pete. Get that cabbage out of here. What's going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Friday, December the 8th, aka Shohei Otani Day. Maybe, fingers crossed, we'll see. Will I be refreshing throughout the entire podcast today? Just maybe. I am, of course, your host, Sean Woodley. I've covered the Toronto Raptors now for 10 seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on the website that don't work so good at Woodley Sean. You can find the show on Instagram at Lockdown Raptors. And of course, you can join us in the Lockdown Raptors Discord server. Link is in the description. It's free to join. We got lots of sickos in there, just like you, talking ball, talking Shohei, talking video games, talking whatever we feel like talking about. Of course, lots of in-season tournament reaction and thoughts last night. Uh, come hang out. It's free to join. We'd love to see you be part of our Lockdown Raptors listener family. Uh, of course, you can find the show for free wherever you get your podcasts. Support it by subscribing, following, rating, reviewing on all your favorite podcast apps. And of course, we are on YouTube as well. Subscribe, hit the little notification bell, and you will never miss an episode when it goes live. Today's show is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepix.com slash locked on NBA and use the code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. And we are off and running here. It is, uh, you know, until it is Shohei Otani Day, December the 8th will always be known as Rudy Gay Day. Of course, 10 years ago to the day the Toronto Raptors traded Rudy Gay along with Quincy Acey and Aaron Gray to the Sacramento Kings for all the role players, baby. Patrick Patterson, Grievous Vasquez, Chuck Hayes, and I'm forgetting somebody, John Salmons. Boy, oh boy, John Salmons. Those were the days, man. And here to talk about the trade, our recollections of what went down on that fateful day in December 2014, 2013, duh, 10 years, math is hard, uh, is, of course, James Herbert of CBS Sports, who, before he became, you know, a jet setter living abroad down in New York, he was, of course, living in Toronto around this time. James, how the hell are you? I am doing great. Congratulations on outlasting Terrence Ross's NBA career. <laughs> happy for you. <laughs> And if you want to revisit John Salmon's inbounds passing, like any, anything you want, like I'm, I'm game. I was, yeah, I was living in Toronto at that time. I was covering the NBA, um, primarily for SB nation at that point. And, um, I have lots of memories from that season. It was a wild <laughs> ride. Yeah. I was in my last year of school in Ottawa, living in my little bachelor apartment in little Italy, uh, shout out little Italy in Ottawa. Good, good, good spot. Um, and the trade went down as I was just like sitting in my living room, avoiding doing some homework I surely had. And it, it was, uh, yeah, I was like, okay. You know, Rudy Gay, you know, that, that, that was a, a sweet little 50 game experiment. This is 
probably tracking towards a, a more depressing NBA season, you know, than, than we even anticipated coming in. And we didn't think this was going to be a good year at all for the Toronto Raptors. And yet, of course, the trade turns the tide. They win a whole bunch of games. I think seven of their next nine after the trade goes down. And of course, finish that season 42 and 22, make the playoffs, lose to the Nets in a spirited first round seven game series. James, Let's go back to that day, December the 8th. What were your recollections of sort of, you know, I was not as in the sort of day-to-day, you know, covering team, you know, wasn't like quite finger on the pulse like I feel like I am today. You obviously a little bit closer to the action uh, covering the league at that time. What were your sort of recollections of the trade when it went down? And what do you think was your sort of outlook after it happened? It certainly could not have been, all right, this is going to spearhead the single best run in Toronto Raptors franchise history over the next seven, eight years, right? Well, there was a thought that it might spearhead the best run in Raptors (laughs) history, but in a very different way. It was definitely looked at as a turning point, but the idea was this was move one, and then move two would be like maybe trading Kyle Lowry, maybe trading DeMar DeRozan. We'll, We'll see what happens. Like This was... Um, supposed to be the start of blowing up the team. It was supposed to be the start of a kind of pivot to a rebuilding phrase, and as has been chronicled well both at the time and again recently in an oral history by Josh Lewinberg of TSN. It turned out to be something wildly different, and it was not what the front office had planned at all, and they just sort of reacted to what happened on the court. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the players... Um, that came in, didn't really know what was going to happen with the team, weren't sure about the direction. The players that were already in the locker room had a lot of questions, but, you know, they, whether it's unlikely or not, I mean, there's certainly basketball reasons that, like, in retrospect, seem kind of obvious as to as to why it worked out. Like, they, they came together and they strung some wins together uh, and they became a team that was more than the sum of its parts. And mm-hmm. I, I think before that happened, there was some talent on the roster but the pieces didn't fit at all and there wasn't much depth and the star players, the highly paid players, the guys who needed the ball did not really complement each other at all. Um, so all of that changed. There what what team are you team. talking about with that last uh, 30 yeah. seconds? Uh. <laughs> I mean, that's why this is so interesting is because there's some pretty clear parallels to, to the team that the Raptors are fielding right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, yeah, like the the trade. Let's kind of dive into the you know we always talk about like the sort of big picture stuff, right? Like oh they go on this run and, and everything's super fun and Kyle and Demar become this thing. Uh, we never really I think give the due necessarily to the guys who came back. Patrick Patterson, Grievous Vasquez, Chuck Hayes, John Salmons all had you know varying roles on that team. Of those guys, you know, I feel like it's probably Patrick Patterson in the long haul who kind of had the most impact. He was, you know, kind of like a plus minus god for the Raptors for quite some time. Um, But do you have anything that kind of pops out from those four guys that you thought, you know, as you sort of watch that team congeal over the course of that season? And like, oh, wow, the ingredient this guy brings is just a big part of what's going on here. Gravis Vasquez's press conferences, those were great. (laughs) Uh, If you're talking on the court... Uh, Patrick Patterson was the one who stood out the most. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty immediately, it was apparent that he was going to be a really good glue guy. Um, he didn't come in the league as a three-point shooter, but um, prior to arriving in Toronto, like you'd seen those attempts go up. And in Toronto, like he was taking those with confidence. He was knocking them down. He was always a little bit streaky, um, but he had to be guarded out there at the four spot. And 
He didn't need a ton of touches. He was a really, really good defender, could guard all sorts of different players. And he just kind of made lineups around him make sense. And mm -hmm. he ended up being a really valuable piece for years and years and years, became like, as I'm sure you guys know, listening, like a, a sort of um, cult hero in Toronto, um, was very involved in, in lots of things throughout the city, like turned out to love Toronto, which is why if, mm -hmm. you, if you read J. Lou's piece, it's hilarious him talking about how he immediately wanted to be traded in a winter <laughs> coat and all of that. Um, and he alluded to that at the time, like 10 years ago, he would talk about how he didn't really know what he was going into. He wasn't prepared for the winter. He didn't know anything about Toronto. He didn't tell us, like, I literally wanted out as soon as I got off the plane, though. So that's <laughs> that's where the stories end up getting a little bit better down the line when when yeah. when guys are looking back. But yeah, I mean, he they all played a role. Like Chuck Hayes at that point was still one of the best post defenders in the NBA, just a, mm -hmm. a completely um, sort of of his time sort of player, um, the six five center. Uh, who specialized in post-defense and defending guys <laughs> way taller than him. Um, you know, the Rockets liked having all these little edges, right? So they'd look for guys with, like, short necks and long wingspans <laughs> because other teams would be like, well, that guy's not tall. And they'd be like, well, he's functionally, like, way taller than that. I don't care, like, how high his head is. I, hear, I care, like, how, like, long his arm is when he puts it in the air. And um, how sturdy his center of gravity is. Oh, and yeah. my God, was it sturdy. Um, and, you know, Salomon's had his moments in Toronto. Uh, he was famously the late game inbounds passer that Dwayne Casey trusted the most, even though in some of those situations he turned the ball over. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they look, Gray was hardly playing. Um, I loved Quincy AC. He was a really fun role player, really great guy. Assistant coach now, by the way. Um, but he wasn't a huge part of the rotation either. Like they mm -hmm. didn't just, it wasn't only addition by subtraction, removing Rudy Gay, allowing other guys to, to thrive and shine a little more. There was some of that, but they traded him for a bench and that completely yeah. changed the rotation. It completely changed the team. Like, um, Vasquez was one of the better backup point guards in the league and oftentimes would close games. They were very comfortable playing him and Lowry together. Um, he was a big part of what, what they were doing when they needed another playmaker on the court because other teams were trapping Kyle and DeMar, who at that point in their careers weren't as good at handling that stuff as they would later be. Like, that was a big, like, you just throw Vasquez out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Grievous was, like, certainly, like, the flashiest dude. Um, you know, plenty of examples of that but yeah patrick patterson like that dude for me probably doesn't get his fair due in raptors history and maybe you know now that we're 10 years out and we can kind of reflect back on that time a little bit more he will start to have that in like the oral history stuff like that helps with that i still think for my money of the entire you know pre Kawhi era of the raptors in that time he was the best defender they had ever to throw at lebron james i know they got pj tucker for that uh, we've all seen the PJ Tucker, please stop meme. Um, you know, I think Patrick Patterson, you know, pound for pound was the guy you trusted most in those spots. And he was also a guy who I like clamored for them to start many a time, the whole 2015, 16 season, for example, when Luis Scola was the ceremonial starter and Patrick Patterson was racking up a like Draymond green level plus minus totals when he was playing, um, really good stuff. Love me some two Pat. And uh, yeah, th those guys, it's nice to give them their due. We never talk about those guys. It's always just like, well, that made Lowry and DeRozan amazing. And well, well we yeah, awesome. And like people talk about the Kyle and the bench lineups that were really yeah. good year after year after year. It's like, that wasn't just Kyle. Like, yeah, it was Kyle. It was also the bench. 100%. And, like, that's how they made the bench. Like the bench changed over the next few years. It wasn't always those guys. But I mean, that year it was like mostly those guys. 
Mm-hmm. And Terrence Ross, I think was maybe he was starting. He was starting. Um, he was starting. But yeah. but yeah, it was it was mostly it was mostly those guys that that made up that unit that was destroying teams. So we're gonna come back. We're gonna dig into sort of the the legacy, if you will, for the lack of a better and less corny term of the Rudy Gay trade. How it may be informed how we think about basketball as people who think about basketball for a living and you know what we can kind of learn from it maybe like and sort of you know reflecting on the 10 years and everything that's happened since then we'll get into that we got parallels to the current day team as well coming up later we'll get to all that but first got to tell you about our friends over at prize picks the single best place for you to go and play daily fantasy sports it's super easy and it's exactly the way daily fantasy sports should be all you got to do is pick two to six players on a given entry whether they will get more or less than their stats projection courtesy prize picks and if you get six of those correct you're gonna win up to 25 times your money that is a pretty sweet deal and with the basketball season here and the football season ongoing you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues for example lebron james plus travis kelsey at 10.5 in a combination of three pointers made and receptions that is an entry you can make over there on prize picks prize picks also has a reboot policy so that if a player gets injured in the first half of your game and doesn't come back that player's rebooted prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy you got to go check them out so right now go to prizepicks.com slash locked in nba use the code locked in nba for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com slash locked in nba code locked in nba for a first deposit match up to 100 with prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy Okay, we continue on here. Your first listen of the day, James Herbert from CBSSports.com is here as we reflect upon the 10 years since the Rudy Gay trade. Uh, Of course, James, the Rudy Gay trade was an example of a team... Like, you know, again, there's lots of luck involved here, right? This was not just, uh, you know, you go and make the move and everything's hunky dory, right? There was, you know, they were in an Eastern Conference that wasn't amazing at the time, so that certainly helped. They were also aided by James Dolan's cowardice in not wanting to pull off the trade for Kyle Lowry, that has been often reported, was very, very close to the finish line until James Dolan said, No, no, don't let Masai do this to me again. Although, that would have been a trade that James Dolan obviously won i would argue what was it a first round pick in iman shumpert uh yeah pretty glad the raptors ended up not pulling the trigger on that one thanks to james dolan's cold feet and then of course we know what happened after that they built incrementally year over year they had their ups and downs in the playoffs many downs that caused lots of concern and panic and oh is this the end of it all and you know it kind of felt like every year there for a couple years it was like oh well this is the last year for this run and they just kept on running it back And eventually they got to the point where they were good enough, relevant enough with good enough players and the salary and all this stuff to trade for Kawhi Leonard. And we know what happened there. So James, I've been thinking a lot about this in through the lens of like this year's team and just sort of in general, how I think about team building in the NBA. And I think, you know, I've done some therapizing on myself. This is very clearly along with the drafting of Andrea Bargnani with the sole lotto win the Raptors have had. This is very clearly to me the reason why I think about basketball the way I do. The reason why I am team, you can build from the middle and it is a viable strategy if you do it right and are patient and are not, uh, you know, sort of just wooed by the idea of tearing it all down to the studs in the hopes that you one day draft someone in the draft who can be the best player on a very good team. Um, obviously reasonable people can disagree. I get yelled at all the time for being someone who thinks tanking is stupid and bad and shouldn't be allowed. Um, but like, 
Can you blame me, James? Like the Raptors did this whole thing without doing that, defying the whole Andrew Wiggins tank thing. And it worked. And I feel like, why can't you try to do that again? That just sort of is my view on it. That's sort of my, the lasting thing I think about when it comes to the Rudy Gay trade is fit really matters. And that's like sort of number one is like, that was, you know, the whole idea of just get a bunch of talent on the team and have it smooshed together. That died when the Rudy Gay trade did what it did to the Raptors. And for me, it also is an example of you can build from the middle and do it successfully in the NBA. And it's a perfectly viable way to get very good players on your basketball team and be good and fun and relevant in the meantime, before you get said really good basketball players on your team or become a true blue contender and all of that. Um, I don't know. What do you think about what's your sort of lasting takeaway from the post Rudy Gay aftermath for the Raptors? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many things I could respond to from what you just said. I think (laughs) it is certainly viable um, to build from the middle. I do think the Raptors probably opened up. It probably wasn't just you. It was probably a lot of people's eyes that they sort of opened up in the next few years, um, particularly after they made the Kawhi Leonard trade, because I think, you know, there was a lot before the before the gay trade happened. Um, there was a lot of momentum in the city from the media, from the fans to just tear the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it was because Andrew Wiggins happened to be the um, consensus number one draft pick at that point in the season that would become Joel Embiid. And then it would again become Andrew Wiggins because of Embiid's <laughs> injury. But at the time, it was like this was the best prospect from Canada and actually from like the greater Toronto area um, that had ever been produced. Uh, what a perfect time to to tear this thing down. Um, Masai Ujiri had come in. He didn't have loyalty to the guys that were um, here before. He hadn't acquired any of their key players whatsoever. Um, it just seemed to make sense. There was an article in the Toronto Star um, weeks or sometime leading up to the, the gay trade saying um, Raptors should trade Kyle Lowry now get off this treadmill before we all puke. Um, <laughs> there was a National Post story that was about DeRozan's sort of frustration um, with how the season was going. And in that story, uh, the idea of like, is it the time to trade him as well? Like that, that was floated there. Um, there was a, a big time sense that the only way you could do it really, if you're serious, is to tear the entire thing down. And I think um, leading up to the Leonard trade that obviously took them to the the next level beyond where they were, this was a team that had made the conference finals, a team that had won a ton of regular season games. And there was an idea like this is sort of getting stale. How long can they keep doing this? What like what are they supposed to do? Should they just blow it up? Like what should happen? Um, and the answer was not blow it up. The answer both times ended up being stay patient, get better. Um, and they ended up winning a championship. It was, it was a really like, it was a really interesting story in team building. I, I don't think that the takeaway should necessarily be, I mean, not even necessarily, I, I flatly don't think the takeaway is this is the right way and tanking, blowing it up is the wrong way. I think sure. these things depend on like the situation that you're dealing with, how like, what is that ownership group's appetite for losing ends up being the most important variable pretty much every time. But there's also like, what is your starting point? Um, What does blowing it up look like for you? Are you trading your star player for um, a potential young star and a bunch of picks? Are you trading your star player for peanuts? Because at this point he has no value because the team sucks and the guy doesn't play defense and he's inefficient, like whatever it is. 
Um, the, I think all of those questions kind of matter. It also might matter just how long you've been bad for and how bad you've been. Maybe you're not even that bad. Um, yep. but, but fans and media are calling for you to blow it up. Like, I, I think there's lots of ways to do it. I think regardless of the path you take is really hard and you need luck anyway. Um, the, the thing about it though, is I think whether you are building through the middle or you are effectively tanking, you need to be patient. You need sure. to really have a good idea of the value of your own players. You don't want to um let's let's move away from the raptors for a moment if you are the golden state warriors um you don't want to swap clay thompson for kevin love um mm -hmm. which some people in the organization wanted to do because you were judging clay thompson in mark jackson's offense and you were judging kevin love when he was at that point kind of a consensus top five player in the nba um but nobody was really talking about like how he would fit in defensively as the league was sort of changing. The league hadn't fully changed yet. The Warriors would be part of changing the league. So <laughs> that that was a thing. Um, and I think it is really important to kind of create an environment that maximizes the talent on your roster so you can value them appropriately. And so other teams can value them appropriately as well. And I, I think what it was a total freaking accident like that. It was not the plan. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think frankly, the trade, if the Raptors were looking to um, win that season, they would have traded Rudy Gay, but it wouldn't yep. have been that trade. It might've been to the Sacramento Kings, but it wouldn't have been for those four guys. They had sure. other guys on the roster that could have helped the Raptors more that I believe were offered to the Raptors in the trade that they turned down because they thought they'd, they'd maybe be too good. Um, or maybe they had more years on their contract and they weren't interested in that. Um, so which players are we talking about now? This is a well, fun go, little, I'm looking at the roster, roster now. There's, yeah. There's some other guys on their roster. Um, Isaiah Thomas, and... Marcus Thornton. Uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> it's, it's a bad team. Reggie Evans. Maybe he's the answer. Uh, Jason well, I mean, Thompson? one of the guys you mentioned <laughs> became an all NBA player. Um, but, um, yes. So, but yeah, so. The Raptors made that trade and that was not supposed to be the only um, trade that they made. It just, that's like, that's what ended up happening. And part of that was luck. And part of that was they didn't rigidly stick to the tear it down plan. Um, they gave them a little bit of time. They stumbled into a little bit more time because the next thing didn't happen mm -hmm. um, before they just like got rid of everybody who was making any money. And um, that ended up like laying the groundwork for the most successful era the franchise has ever seen. But if it, like, if it were a slightly different front office or if they were just a, a tad less patient, it would have gone completely differently. And that, that seemed a lot more likely than what actually happened. Yeah. I mean, look, the luck thing, that's the big thing here, right? It's all stupid. It's all luck. It's all based on, does this guy, you know, fall the wrong way at a given time and ruin everything? Like it, it's all, very much luck-based. I, I guess for me, I think the joy that was the four or five seasons where they weren't contenders, but they were good and they were a regular season season wins wagon and they had like, just like I know the whole, oh, they lose at the playoffs, first round exit, all oh, you know, lose game ones all the time thing. Like, yeah, that stuff was there. That stuff was, you know, not fun. But having that to talk about, certainly more fun than not having that to talk about because it meant that you had really great regular seasons five six months worth of really fun interesting 
and wildly entertaining basketball to keep you entertained mm-hmm. during the dark, cold winter months. And I think that more than anything, just like the joy I felt watching their regular seasons between, you know, mid 2013, 14, all the way up to the pre Kawhi season where they go and win, you know, 59 games. Like there was just so much happiness in the watching of the basketball during that time that I am thankful eternally that they didn't go in the way that they initially wanted to go tanking for Andrew Wiggins and boy, oh boy, that would have worked out really well. Um, You know, had that all that, that dumb luck thing of getting the number one pick, which was unlikely for anybody because that's just how lottery odds work. Like, the tank, the sort of the long, slow build, I would rather watch a team that can kind of win some fun games, have a regular season that's worth remembering more than sort of the the hope of the lottery at the end of the season kind of being the thing driving your future momentum. But that reasonable people can disagree. There's multiple ways to do this thing. There's 30 different teams. There's 15 players on every team. Collecting those players is hard and comes in all sorts of different ways and shapes and forms and everything. So, um, well, speaking of similar arcs to the 2013-14 Toronto Raptors, not like we talked about at the top. There's not really there's there's some a handful of different things you could tie between that team and this year's team. We will talk about that and the parallels between the 2013-14 Raptors and the current Raptors, which are nine and twelve. Got some weird fitting guys. Got some stuff to figure out. Bit of a crossroads. We'll get into all of that coming up in just one second. But first, gotta tell you about today's sponsor, which is Jace Medical. It's that time of year where you're going to be traveling perhaps for the holidays. Maybe you're going down south somewhere. You don't want to end up being unprepared if you fall ill. That's the worst thing in the world. And Jace Medical can help you be prepared when things might go awry while you're traveling. Maybe you get a stomach bug. Maybe you fall ill with something. You don't really know what's going on. The Jace case from Jace Medical is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. This stuff can happen to anybody, especially while you're away and not at home. And the Jace case is a very easy thing to just stick in your luggage. Hopefully you never have to use it, but if you do have to use it, you have it there and there's doctor recommendations on how to use it safely. You have access to their in-house physicians. You can call at any time to get a proper read on how you should be deploying whichever medication it is to deal with whichever thing it is you've fallen ill with. Visit visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com. Use the offer code LOCKEDON to get 20 bucks off your order. Okay, rounding it out here, James Herbert of cbssports.com as we reflect on the 10 years since the Rudy Gay trade and now look forward at the X number of years that lie before us for this year's version of the Toronto Raptors, the 2023-24 squad. 9-12 and so far this year, as we talked about. We know all of the overarching issues. There's the contract conundrums, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr. to a less dire degree. Uh, you've got you know something the 2013-14 Raptors didn't have, which is an ascending potential superstar in Scotty Barnes, who is in the midst of a bit of a breakout, um, a major breakout, you know, depending on your, your mileage on that. There's lots to kind of draw between that team and this team, James, what does your eye go to? Like if you're looking for parallels, things that could inform what we might see to come here, what, what the Raptors maybe should be entertaining doing if they're trying to replicate their success of the last decade, what pops out to you when you look at the 2013-14 squad compared with this one? Yeah, I think some of the flaws of the the 
pre-trade 2013-14 squad and this one are similar in that mm -hmm. there's just sort of some redundancy on the roster. There's a spacing issue. Um, there are lots, like there are a few guys who need the ball, want the ball, and there's a shortage of sort of, you know, Patrick Patterson types, frankly. Um, <laughs> I think there's a shortage of connectors. There's a shortage of like primarily shooters. Um, there's just kind of a, a ceiling to how good this team can be on offense that I think makes it seem like there's less offensive talent on the team than there actually is. Like I just think mm -hmm. on the offense of the, on the offensive end of the court, they're less than the sum of their parts. And the same was true with that, that Raptor team back then. Like I, I think you see it all the time. Like we're talking about these two teams. You could just as easily talk about like, Oh, like why does the, why does Nick Batum seem to make the Clippers so much better? It's like, well, mm -hmm. he doesn't need the ball. He's an awesome passer. He's an awesome and super versatile defender, can guard every position, even though he's like 37. Um, and teams have to guard him like when, when he's on the perimeter. They just have to. So, And he can put the ball on the floor and make plays and, and all that stuff. Like The Raptors just need a bunch of Batums. They need a bunch of Pattersons. It wouldn't hurt to have you know a, a Vasquez or a Salmons either. Like I, I think you just you look at the the numbers when it's like starters versus bench. Um, you look at even the numbers of the starting lineup compared to last year's starting lineup, which hmm. I mean, just having Van Vliet and the spacing that he provided, I think the screening also that 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 he provided, it was just it was so different um, mm -hmm. with that one piece. And that's not a knock on Schroeder, who's had a really good year, but I just I think it's tough. I I think they are really fighting an uphill battle with the way that this roster was constructed. We talked about it coming into the year. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think, and I think it's understandable that they're, they've tried to change some things up from, from last year. I think the players wanted that. I think Darko Ryakovic has some philosophies that like speak to me personally in, in, in terms of the, the ball movement that he wants and, and all of that. I get it. Uh, at the same time, it's like they had a much more kind of defined, explicit identity to me last year, um, even if it wasn't being executed at the highest level all the time, um, especially compared to prior years. Um, that To me, it was like, all right, well, this, these are the pieces that we got, so we're going to go all in on, on this to make up for this weakness right. um, that, that we have. And this year, it's not quite the same. Um, they're, they're kind of average in a lot of areas that they were extreme last year. Sometimes it's for the good. Other times it's for the bad, and the results have been pretty similar um, in terms of their win-loss record and that, and that kind of thing. Their their you know their advanced stats and and all of that and their point differential. Like I I just think it's there's the there are the makings of an above-average team, um, a solidly above-average team. They're the makings of a team that a couple of years ago everybody was really excited that that still exists here, um, but the way that it's all assembled it, it it doesn't it's hard to like you have to squint to see that yeah um so in theory the idea is you can make one great rudy gay trade like move and then suddenly all the pieces fit better and the, the spacing is perfect and the depth is better and all of that um but i think that's kind of complicated because which is the guy that you're moving i don't think that's obvious and yeah Who's the trade partner that's going to give you exactly what you need? I think if that were simple, it would have been done already because the front office is is well aware of the the, the issues that the roster has, and have been. For yeah, time. yeah, for sure. I I think that is the thing, right? Is like I do think that there's enough stuff on this roster that is good that could potentially work under a different context with different pieces around. 
that you know they could in theory be one move away from kickstarting a really nice run like to the same degree as that season back in 2013-14 probably not that was lightning in a bottle that was just serendipity you're probably never recapturing that but as far as like setting things up for a longer run of success i think there could be a move there that does that i just have a hard time seeing which one that is because it feels as though you know pascal siakam i think it's thrown around as like he's the rudy gay of this team he's the guy who's kind of the weird sore thumb fit i think that's kind of the general consensus of the fan base i actually don't agree with that i've been pretty staunch in my belief that like the og pascal scotty trio can work in the right context and the move to sort of set up the context around them should be like that. That's the thing for me is like, can you find a way to, you know, move a Yaka Pertle or a Dennis Schroeder or um, your future picks, whatever it might be to find a pull-up shooting guard prime. Kyle Lowry would be pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be swell? That's also one thing that's not a parallel between then and now is uh, Kyle Lowry is a basketball genius and the Raptors don't have Kyle Lowry. So everything gets a little bit harder. That dude tied everything together so beautifully. Um, but for me, I'm curious what about what you think about this. I, I think I kind of teased what my thought is on this. People suggest Siakam is the Rudy Gay stand in. I actually think Jakob Pertl is the Rudy Gay of this team. I think that, A, because like it's the easy corollary of, oh, a trade the season prior that was kind of panicky, set the team up, had them be a little bit better down the stretch, but not great. Uh, but it, like it worked and you know it got people a little bit excited about the season to come. And now the fit is just so off. You lose Fred VanVleet, obviously, and that complicates matters. And the fit just, it, it's not easy. It's, there's not a ton of space. There's just like, it's cramped and clunky and all this stuff. And to me, if you could turn Yaka Pertle into like two or three much less good, but more well-fitting pieces, all of a sudden you might be cooking with something. Like the numbers for the three core guys plus any modicum of shooting on the floor have been historically really excellent. This season, they're railroading teams when it's just those three guys plus a little bit of shooting in very limited minutes, mind you. Like it's to me, Yaka Pirtles like the and it sucks because I love Yak. He's really good. He I think the trade still makes sense. They are in a better spot now with Yaka Pirtle than they were a year ago. Their team makes more sense. It, it allows them to play a more normal style of basketball, even if it's maybe not best suited to their personnel. But to me, Yaka Pertl is the guy that is sort of unfortunately kind of the weird fit here. Dennis Schroeder too, to an extent, but I think Yaka is a little bit more kind of tied to that Rudy Gay narrative, narratively speaking, if we, if we want to do that, like, what are your thoughts on that? Am I crazy? Um, and you know, or do you think Pascal is the Rudy Gay of this situation? I think you're crazy. No, I don't. I don't think you're crazy. <laughs> I understand the the context of it, right? Because you're saying narratively it fits. I think if I could offer a, a defense of Yak, who you obviously hate and want to be moved and think is a bad person and a picky eater and just rude to everyone who ever encounters him, all of that. Um, I this is where I'd start. Like Rudy Gay was sort of the classic case of like I don't know, like. Bill Simmons is Ewing theory or whatever. Like mm. you have a guy who is a big name, who is paid very highly, who expects to take the last shot, who wants the ball. Um, not a great defender, not all that efficient actually. Um, when you when you look at his offense, like takes some really difficult shots. Um, in the right circumstance, can look like an absolute star, um, but other times can shoot you out of a game. There was that infamous game against Houston where 
Demar and Rudy Gay combined, I think, seventeen for sixty-two or something, <laughs> leading up for that to that trade, and that I think was just raised alarm bells everywhere. Like this is just this has to end. It's like something has to be done. Um, there's never going to be a game where Yaka Pertle is like shooting you out of a game. Um, I think Yaka Pertle, generally speaking, if you'd like, it is weird in this context, but. I think in most contexts is just seen of as like a really solid winning player sure. um, makes other makes teammates better by setting really good screens, by finishing around the basket, by being one of the better defensive centers in the league. I mean, you saw had an, he had an immediate impact when, when they got him in the trade last year it was a different team though, because Fred Van Vliet could make deep pull up threes and deep spot up threes and could run pick and roll and ran pick and roll, especially well with the Jakob Pertle. Pertle changed Van Vliet's life mm -hmm. um, in the second half of the last season, and the Raptors were the better for it. They would have liked to have two Jakob Pertles last year, I think, um, they, or they would have liked him to be able to play 48 minutes of the game. <laughs> um, the issue is that he doesn't help your spacing. Um, mm -hmm. He gives you a little bit of vertical spacing, but that's not really what we're talking about here. Um, it is a team where Schroeder doesn't take pull-up threes. He's not guarded super closely when he's spotting up. Um, he's not a movement shooter type of guy. And like Scotty Barnes, like give him all the credit in the world. He's taking like twice the amount of catch and shoot threes this year. And he's making them a super high rate. He's looking super confident doing it. Um, but teams are not scared of that. Um, Siakam shooting terribly. And, you know, Ananobi is a good, fine, sometimes above average catch and shoot three point shooter that opponents respect, but don't fear behind the line in that context, it's just going to be tough. Like mm -hmm. teams are going to pack the paint. And so sure. Like if you're turning Jakob Pertle into a space five, or if you're going back to the alignment that they tried for years where they just don't have a conventional center, um, then you could see some gains The where I would sort of push back a little is like, all right, well, if you go back to what they were doing before, there were some drawbacks, clearly. It was a hard 100%. style to play. It was very hard to protect the rim. Um, rebounding on the defensive end could be an issue, even though offensively they were killing killing teams in that respect. Um, and it made half-court offense challenging, too, because, like I said, like it it can help to have a really good screener as a big man. And they just their best screener was Fred Van Vliet for years, and now he's gone. And now I don't, like, after Pirtle, who the hell is their second best screener now? I don't know. Um <sighs> That's so, a grim question. Right? So and I, but that's a huge Ugh. part. I, I don't know. It's a huge <laughs> part of offense, right? So yeah. I I it's like who like what is the trade? Like I'm sure you can come up with something where they get um guys who fit better. Um but it's like, yeah, those when those the three forwards have played without Yawk, they've been really good. They've also been awesome when Trent has played in, in Scotty Barnes's spot. That lineup yep. is played a lot of minutes and that lineup has been killer and the starting lineup last year was killer. So I, I don't see, this is the problem. I don't see one guy and say, that's the, the ill fitting piece. Like you could look at that lineup. I just said, and, and go, Oh, well that Scotty Barnes is the, is the guy he's ruining everything. But that's crazy. Franchise <laughs> player Now um, Siakam is probably still their best player, but I mean, I understand there's the sort of, the logic of, well, he is the guy who's most likely to move because he's not as good of a shooter as OG and he's going to cost a ton of money and there's duplication with Scotty and their point guard can't shoot and their center can't shoot. Well, I shouldn't say can't shoot, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, 
So I get the people saying it should be Pascal. I I think in some ways it is, but he's also just flat better than Rudy Gay was at that time. And, you know, just a far, far, far better defensive player has lots of positives to his offensive game, even when the, the shot is not falling from the perimeter. This is the problem. Like if, if the, the, the like theoretical Rudy Gay on this team were like super obvious, then he would have been traded. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Right. Like as much as the yachting has like very easy lines to draw because it was a trade the season prior, et cetera, et cetera. There's also just as much argument that you get a true blue, you know, pull up shooting point guard on this team and all the other guys can work and it can make sense and they can coexist. And, you know, especially with Scotty Barnes shooting the way he has this season, I think that makes the puzzle a little harder, a little easier to figure out in the sort of the long run as well. If that's like a real thing. I also think they got to try him at point guard a little bit. That's besides the point. That's a whole other thing for another day. Um, but like, what are you doing if you're not just seeing what he can do in these next 20 games? Even if he's, his future is not as a point guard, you should see what is there. I mean, it's tough. Forward at the very least. Like, yeah, I mean, for he's sure. He's got to run pick and roll. And he's, he's doing it, but he could do it more. Yeah, and he's doing it as well on a per possession basis as Dennis Schroeder is. So what is there to lose, really, um, you know, from from trying it out? Yeah, it's it's a weird team, man. And I I know, like, the whole fan base is like, oh, well, they got to do something. They got to, you know, pick the, you know, trade Pascal for scraps or whatever. I don't think it's that easy because I think there's just, like, there, there's a lot of different potential answers here. And I frankly don't think they're that far away considering the higher end talent they have and you know we talked about the nice pieces like i don't think this is some situation where they make a trade but they're still you know years away from reaching some kind of uh you know competitiveness like i, I think the right trade the right change of the mix whatever could actually kind of set them up to be like oh, okay this is something serious here and it works and it all kind of falls into place much like it fell into place for that 2013-14 team, just in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think there will most likely be some sort of move before the deadline. Some sort of yeah, move. you would think, right? I just, yeah, it's much like the previous years. It it kind of still feels like anything is possible, like a mm -hmm. a forward looking move, a backward looking move, a sort of you know, may, maybe it's kind of a lateral move, but it ends up being something that will make the team look better because the while it's not a huge talent upgrade, it's like exchanging like for like, but it's a better fit. If nothing else, an endlessly fascinating team to think about because uh, it can go a whole lot of directions. It would be cool if it went a direction similar to the 2013-14 and beyond Toronto Raptors. Uh, James, we've gone for 51 minutes. That was not the plan, but what are you going to do? It's Friday and we're trying to kill time while we refresh and see if Shohei Otani is coming to the Blue Jays. Uh, we've, we've taken up at least one hour of Shohei's flight from Anaheim to Toronto. So that's good. Um, maybe we post this and he can watch this while he's on his flight. I'm, I'm assuming they have like quick internet on this private jet. So I, I don't know, man. I'm losing my mind. Uh, thank you for <laughs> distracting me while Shohei watch is going on. Thank you for indulging me in, uh, you know, a, a very long conversation about a thing that we've been thinking about for 10 years. But I think it's nice to kind of reflect upon it all and how it informs today. Good stuff. James, anything you want to plug? I'll just plug Terrence Ross's 51 point game from this. You're goddamn right. You'll plug Terrence Ross's 51 point game. <laughs> <laughs> I know who I'm talking to. 
You do. Uh, actually, in spirit of a thing I did on Tuesday's podcast, uh, where I laid out a player A, player B case, whose career would you rather have? Terrence Ross or Anthony Davis? The, cur- the clear answer is Terrence Ross, but you can give your answer if you want. <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, Anthony Davis, like, I, no, I Anthony Davis has spent his entire hard. career being critiqued and being ridiculed by talking heads, and he never get his own due. He's still, he's hurt. He's going to be so hurt after his career. His, his post career quality of life going to be low. Terrence Ross went around at the top, had a dunk contest win, 51 point game. Everyone remembers, played with Kevin Durant for a couple weeks, 92 million bucks in career earnings. That's a better career, baby. <laughs> I appreciate your concern for Anthony Davis's mental health with regard to the, the hate that he receives on social media. Um, I I feel for him too if that is affecting him that negatively. But I honestly I don't get the sense that he's that bothered. It's fine, whatever. Wrong answer. I thought you knew who you were talking to. Unbelievable, James. We will leave it there. And uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in and for indulging this extremely long episode. To my bosses, I'm sorry this is so long. I'll get it shorter next week. Uh, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, follow, rate, review, et cetera, et cetera. It's always appreciated. We'll be back again on Monday to talk about the Raptors, hopefully not losing to the Charlotte Hornets on Friday. Till then, thanks for hanging. Bye-bye. Oh,